Welcome back to Dark Nexus. My name is Rob. I'm the Game Master. We got our four players with us. I'm Katie. I'm Paul. I'm Robert. And I'm Johnny. Tonight, it's Act One, Chapter Three. So, last week, we finally got some names for our characters. Our characters woke up with no memories, naked and locked in cells in a horrifying torture dungeon. Our last session largely dealt with getting out and sorting through the weird collection of equipment in sacks, on tables, in huge piles of refuse, littered inside an unlit furnace, and so forth. Why don't we uh, share a little bit about what we took, and let's introduce ourselves by our actual names now, now that they exist. You want to kick us off, Robert? I would love to. So Grip, the half-orc, is the name. He sort of remembers. Doesn't remember who called him that, but rung a bell when Dora sort of got it right. Uh, out of the pile of stuff, Grip took a set of masterwork studded leather armor that seemed as though it was made uh, specifically for him. And he took a light steel shield that seemed to go along with it. He made a attempt to pick up a hand axe, <laughs> but then madness took hold and um, slashing weapons, no good. So he was unable to pick the uh, axe up, but he's going to... this is because our good friend Grip is still suffering from a lesser madness. He's got a phobia to bladed weapons. That I've been told might last quite a while, so (laughs) uh, we won't be carrying the axe. Instead, he'll just have a shield and a fist, and we'll keep on keeping on. Great, and visually, as you picture this set of equipment that Grip is bedecked in, he's you know he's got the silver tusk caps that he took that fit perfectly. His studded leather is strikingly gray colored. His shield, which was once spiked, is also gray colored. There had been a shattered battle axe that was gray. No point in taking that. And there was also a constable's badge that was gray. Did you end up taking that? I never specifically said I did, because it's not striking any resonance with me it at is the not. moment. No. It's very confusing because it, it struck it with me. Right, you're not For me. you. You're not me, are you? No, I, 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 he didn't have a picture of himself as a constable. It's confusing to him a little bit, but because it looks like it goes together, he'll take it. He'll put it. He'll, he's not displaying it. He's not going to wear it, but because he's curious about it, he has he has it on his person. He'll pocket it. Yeah. yeah. Great. Katie. Dora, who remembered her name right off the bat, uh, she took a couple of weapons, a sickle, uh, which is a simple weapon she thinks she can use, though not very well, and uh, one of the light crossbows and the bolts. But she also took a wedding ring that she is sure is hers. It's golden, and it has chains wrapped around it. And an inscription. Mm-hmm. GV hyphen TA 4700. You understand 4700 to be a year in Absalom Reckoning, and you understand it to be in the past, but, but you don't no know idea how, how long in the past that could be. Um, she also took a, a, a pouch of polished, what appeared to be polished halfling finger bones that she was... <laughs> She is so sure are hers that they felt like a phantom limb when she picked them up. And she also took a crystal that warmed to her touch. And she took the violin, the, the violin that had the note tucked into it, saying, for Eric, remember? Not remember. Don't for, forget. Don't forget. 
In draconic. In draconic. Which was a language that you knew and nobody else seemed to. Uh, I do, think that's do it. We She's know wearing that? a Did hospital. we actually look at? Was that shown to everybody? At the time she was going through that, you were all gathered around. Let's yeah, Got let's it. say you all looked at it. Nobody could read it. I asked awesome. everyone if they were Eric or if they recognized the violin. So I'm sure I told you all what it said. Great. Um, and she's wearing like one of the more whole hospital gowns. Yes, <laughs> to be covered. Yep. Great, Johnny. Gulliver Stoney totally remembered his name right from the start. Unlike the rest of you, except for you. He picked up uh, several of the red leather uh, things that were all his, and he also agreed to carry the lock picks for the good of the party, and um, <laughs> grabbed a rapier and a couple daggers. He also grabbed the uh, moldy, rotten wizard's tome. I imagine he kind of has it like stuffed in the behind his low of his back in his belt kind of thing, so it's like jammed in there. Uh, it's and so he's, gross. <laughs> And he sort of has... Uh, you remember that it's covered in fungus, right? Yeah, I know. Okay. He uh, has one of those gowns on as well, and then over it he has uh, the torn, slightly destroyed red leather armor, and um, he has taken w- at least one of those picks and hidden away like in the lining of this uh, gown so that... If all of his stuff gets taken again, like he still has a chance to try to get away. Oh, so he's hiding a lockpick. He's pick. hiding a lockpick. Great. Yeah, he's we'll hiding a lockpick. We'll make a sight of hand check later should it become relevant. You Absolutely. also took the other book, didn't you? Yeah. 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 And, and anything that was red leather, I took all that stuff. And he's actually going to, as you put your hand on that, he's going to say, uh, you know, give me, give me a second. I, uh, I, I want to look at one of these books real quick. And is he doing anything else after looking at the book? Yes. Yeah, he, what's he doing? He looks at the book, and then you see him kind of fiddling with his red leather superhero belt and sort of taking things out and mixing things and pouring things and <laughs> holding them up and kind of sniffing them and stuff. Nice. And, and then he kind of puts them back into the belt. Excellent. He goes, I'm good. <laughs> and Polly. Yeah, so Ray is just learning who he is, I feel like. It's very much, he's very much in the present moment, trying to piece things together, still horrified by, by what he's seen. When he came into the light, he was suddenly aware of the carvings, the scars on his skin, and he was able to read them. And he realized that they were in a different language than the language that people have been speaking around him. Finding stuff around the, uh, there's a pile of holy symbols that he was really drawn to. So, Clearly, there's some sort of connection there, but he can't quite place it. He picked up a set of black chainmail that seems made for his body, and uh, and splattered in gore. And splattered in gore, great. And a black iron buckler, and a bloody morning star. He also picked up a pile of ripped up parchment that he doesn't quite know why, but it seems like it might be useful to him in the future. That's the one from the side table, right? Well, there was... The one that Grip gave you? The parchment that Grip gave you? Okay, Yeah, yeah, so that's covered in a series of reverential prayers written to Shaylin. Hmm. We hadn't addressed ever if Dora is able to read the writing on Ray's body, so I'll I'll answer that definitively. She does not speak the language. Mm. Okay. Johnny? I was going to say, I totally forgot the other thing that Gull picked up was uh, the other wedding ring. Oh, right. So Gulliver and Dora 
are wearing matching wedding rings. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> do, do the two of you have any feeling about what that means as two people who don't recognize or remember each other? No, it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, she's, Dora's trying to work it out because the, the GV, which he, he is claiming he is the G of the GV, I, I know my name is Dora, and so the TA doesn't match. Mm -hmm. So if all the pieces of this puzzle were fitting together, this would be more curious. Right. But there's a feeling of doubt in Dora that, like, I know this feels right, but I'm also quite certain that something has gone wrong here. How, could, how is, could it be right? Something is misaligned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is Gull feeling anything about this other than he knows it was his? Gulliver is thinking that he stole all this from the guy on the table. <laughs> and that uh, he didn't like the guy on the table, and he liked everything that the guy on the table had. And uh, too bad for him. That guy on the table was bad business. <laughs> oh, and we know that because Dora I know felt that. his blood. I so didn't bother sharing. I don't know about the connection to the red leather or anything, you know, to me that was just, those are things that happen, but the fact that an evil man was killed does not feel like important. Gotcha. So when we left off, Grip was down at the end of this short hallway on the other side of the torture dungeon than, than you've already explored. He was putting his hand on the door to open up into the next chamber where they can smell rotting corpses and hear the sound of buzzing flies. Ooh. How horrible this you drew, place You is. drew all the stick figures in the corpse pile. <laughs> so Grip opens the door and sees a long rectangular room, maybe 50 feet long. Right in front of him is a set of wooden stairs going up, but he can see what Ray wasn't able to see, which is that the top of the staircase is essentially a massive collapse of stone and building material. A huge cave-in has happened above you and that stairwell is entirely impassable unless you want to start digging. Off to the left, there is a broad chute on the opposite wall extending diagonally through the ceiling of the room. Beneath it lies heaped uh, a couple dozen mutilated human bodies. Oh. There is a little table tucked around the corner as you're poking your head in grip to your left there. It looks to have maybe six or seven little bolt and pin restraints that you might put on, say, animals, you deduce, because lying in one of these sets of bolt and pin restraints is a small black and orange fox. It is dead. Its head is a mutilated pile of gore. Looks as though someone took a hammer to it repeatedly. There's bits of brain, skull, blood all over the place. And then all the way to the left, to our north on this map, is a short hallway extending another 10 feet, just right at the edge of your dark vision there. And you can see that it looks like it leads to another pile of rubble as if from a cave-in. So, stinking pile of corpses. Most of them, like half of them, are in these patient robes that you are all wearing. About half of them are in the gray orderly coats 
oh, which I think we didn't really ever go back and check. There was a gray orderly coat lying next to the dead man's table if we ever want to re-examine that again. And then there's a corpse chute extending <laughs> into the room from the ceiling above the pile of bodies. This is where the fox is? Yes. I relay all this back. There's a big pile of corpses there. There's a stairway that's caved in. We cannot get through that. There's another hallway that's caved in. We cannot get through that. And then there's a little dead fox that's had his head bashed in. Gull immediately goes into the room to look at the fox. And you're carrying the uh, torch. torch. Yep. Great. Grips maybe steps in, lets him get past. The stench in there is unbelievable. I'm like covering my face with like a little bit of the, the thing, like trying to pull it up over my mouth and cover it. And you have to step over a couple of corpses to get to the table and the fox is uh, still chained. Can I use my lock picks to, to pick the locks to get it out of the chain? Oh, you don't even have to. It's designed for animals, so all you have to do is just pull the little pin. I take the, I take the pins out. Great. Is there anything that I could possibly wrap the fox in? Well, there are all sorts of uniforms and gowns on the rotting corpses that you're standing next to. There was also some gowns back in the furnace room that were less filthy and disgusting. You said there was one that was dropped. There was like a, a coat that was dropped. An in orderly the coat, yeah. I'm going to go back and get that one that's not currently on a body. I walk back in the room. Give me a perception check as you're sort of dealing with that. That's going to be 11 plus 6, 17. Great. As you're heading back towards the fox with this orderly uniform, you can feel inside, uh, tucked inside in an inner pocket, there's uh, the telltale crinkle of a, of a piece of paper. I'll grab it. It says in Taldane, Campre Linway is authorized to receive his annual increase. And then there's initials E-L. So Gulliver is looking for something to wrap the fox in. What's everybody else doing? I'm, while he does that, I'm going to, without getting close and, and sticking my hands in, just looking at the pile of bodies, is there anything noticeable as like a commonality between them? Just similar affliction, similar wounds, similar something like that. Yeah. Give me a perception check. <laughs> this is I know you're time so to shine. <laughs> uh, that's a two on the die, Rob. <laughs> For a, let me check, two. <laughs> oh, Robert, that's fantastic. So these bodies are all in a state of advanced decay. They've been dead for a while. They seem to have the injuries of manufactured weapons all over them. Like some are missing hands, some are stabbed in the chest as if by rusty pruning shears. Some have like oh. their head kind of hacked off with a bone saw at a sort of immediate glance, you'd probably, I'm guessing Grip would imagine, these may have been the victims of your friend Dr. Skeen, but that, oh, that's a lot of bodies. Dora mm-hmm. would like to hold her arm up over her nose and yes. go into the, toward the stairway rubble and investigate that, if there's any way of telling how long ago this happened. Do you have knowledge engineering? I could. Hmm, do you want to? Yeah, I think I do. Okay. Give me a check. A natural one. It just happened three seconds ago, guys. <laughs> it's a miracle we escaped it. There, there's dust on the on the wall. I think Un- we can unknown. Make it. Unknown. 
All right, Gulliver, you're coming back with the orderly's coat, wrapping up the fox. Yeah. What do you want to do with it? When he picks up the fox, he literally starts to, like, sob. Oh. Just trying to hold back tears, and they're just streaming down his face. Mm. And he just totally, like, wraps this thing up and is, like, trying to find some place in here where he could possibly, like, bury it and then finally decides that he doesn't want to leave it here. And so he opens up his leather armor and kind of tries to tuck it his best in and I'm sure that will somehow make me disadvantaged when I do anything but I don't care. He's going to just sort of tuck it in so it's close to his chest and... Yeah, and, we'll, uh, we'll figure out what that means to you. Grip, uh, Grip asks him, did you know of a beast? Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss, I guess. Thanks. What's Ray doing during all this? You said there was a shoot. Yeah. Of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm checking that out. So to check that out, you'd have to climb on top of oh, no. a pile of corpses. Does that sound like something that you want to participate in? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in all interests of trying to get the F out of here, I think that's where he's driven to go. So I'm going to try to get a foothold and get closer to that shoot. All right. So you... Climb up the squelching, rotting pile of corpses. Take a slip, flap down, face to face with a corpse that had had its eyes ripped out. Trying to like wipe the gore off of your hands. And Ray doesn't know this, but Paul should know. He should probably make a fortitude save. (laughs) (laughs) I rolled a five on the die, plus one is a six. So probably during one of those little tumbles, you make a little bit of mouth contact with a bloody arm, and then you have to like wipe your mouth with your other hand, which you realize you had just put in, you know, on the side of somebody's filth Mm. or covered leg, and you just wiped blood into your mouth, (laughs) spitting. I'm imagining a little bit of retching going on. The stench is horrifying, but you do climb up, and when you're standing on top of the topmost corpses there, the chute empties at sort of like eight foot height. You, you can reach it if when you're standing on top of this pile of corpses. And you realize with a not too, too difficult climb check, you may be able to pull yourself up and wedge yourself up the shaft. There's nothing to hold on to, but it's small enough that if you like press out with your arms and your back, you can kind of like shimmy up. Of course, once you dry all the gore off your hands and, mm. and out of your mouth. <laughs> but yeah, it looks climbable. There's no light up above you. I'm s- this is so disgusting. It's just awful. Uh, does the air smell any better up there? Oh, <laughs> I mean, you're standing. Above, amidst up. the corpses, right? There's, there's just, there's, no there's just sick in your mouth, sick in your nose. No, you don't. There's not like a gust of fresh breeze coming down <laughs> the shoot tunnel. I'm, I'm sorry to say, I wish it were that easy. I can't. There's nothing for me to sit on. It's just like I'm like pushing myself up there, and I yeah, can't. Reaching up with the extent of your grip mm-hmm. up, you'd have to pull yourself up with your uh, upper arm strength to get in there. Um, which would probably be the trickiest part, but uh, I know your strength score, you could do it. I know Grips, he could easily do it. Probably the only person that couldn't would be Dora, but if somebody was up there, they could easily lift her up. Okay. I'm going to drop down and get off the pile. Squelch, squelch, squelch. And 
I'm going to go out the door just to get away from the smell and the pile of corpses and stuff, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm just going to go, uh, just put me right outside the door there. And I'm going to tell them guys, you know, if we, we want to do this, this is another, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is another way we could possibly get out of here. I, I'd rather try the, uh, the, the, the ventilation area. Right, Ray, Ray, when he's investigating the the collection of holy symbols and unholy symbols in the unlit furnace, he saw some ductwork that looked large enough for uh, medium-sized humanoids to squeeze through very painfully. But that's what I saw. I've no desire to climb upon this pile of corpses. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Dora is, however, quite distracted by her inability to kind of gauge what's going on with the cave-in. She approached this with a feeling of like, not, I'm not an expert at this, I'm not an architect, I'm not a builder, but surely this should make sense. And the really bad way she failed it has sort of tuned her into her own state of being. Yeah. And there's a feeling of something, something that is always present having retreated. Mm. So she's distracted. And as you think about for the the other three of you, I mean, she's the one who came to knowing her name. She's the one who came to knowing your names or at least things that sounded similar enough that kind of got you to something that felt comfy. She was immediately able to apparently to do some information about the man on the table simply by touching him. And now the person who is sort of clearly the brainiac of the group, at least based on the information we have right now, is visibly stymied by uh, this collapse at the top of the stairs. <laughs> As Ray is stymied by the chute at the top of the pile of corpses. What do we do? First. I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah. Oh, please, let's just try that. What do you say? I don't really like the idea of trying to climb up a wee chimney chute, but if that's where you want to go, I don't fancy going by myself, either. I'm gonna need a minute. For what? I gotta get some things ready. (laughs) What does he do? He goes and uh, starts to fiddle with his uh, belt again and starts to measure some things out and pour some things together and sort of shakes them around and stuff and sniffs them and... Okay. All right, I'm good. What the fuck are you doing over there? Well, he's, he's clearly some kind of chemist or something. Yes? You know how those work? Yeah. It's important that we pay attention to these details. Well, what have you made thing. then? I'll show you once we're going up the furnace. All right. I suppose that's fair. All right. So do we ram our bodies into the... Exhaust port of the furnace shaft and attempt to squeeze our way up into the darkness. You know we do. We didn't come here not to do that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Let's see what the climb check is. Is it, Amazing. Better, is it better for the big guy to go first or last? I'm going to need help. <laughs> Whichever well, worst thing we climb. Just on. sort of gauging the strength of the party. You are probably the most likely to succeed without falling, because of your sheer strength. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, how do you guys want to handle it? Uh, yeah, now that I'm wearing armor, my climb check is 
uh, diminished significantly. <laughs> Gulliver, are you a good climber? Uh, I can be for a, a little bit of time. Can you help anyone else be a good climber? No. Do we want the big, strong person uh, below us to keep us from falling, perhaps? Absolutely. Or to boost us up or to yeah. pull us up from above, which we don't know what's up there. I don't want to touch me. That's fine. That can be arranged. I won't, then. All right, who wants to go first? I'll take, I'll take the rear. Okay. I don't want to go first. I'll go first. All right, so, Gulliver, you squeeze your way through the doorway of this furnace into the heap of ashes of humanoids climbing over the bones. And when you stand up, you can reach the bottom of that ductwork. You want to give me a climb check and see how that goes? Before he does that, he uh, reaches into one of his things and pops it open and takes a sip. (laughs) Do the others notice anything happen? They don't notice anything, but when I grab hold of stuff and start to move, all of a sudden it seems like I have a real easy time climbing up. Excellent. Give me a climb check. Nope. I have a climb speed of 10 feet. Amazing. Oh, nice. <laughs> so almost like a monkey, you just see him like... What scrub. do you do with the fox? It's, it's still like tucked in. Okay. Great. Who's going next? Um, I'll go next. Okay. Give me a climb check. I rolled an eight minus four. <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, armor. The great thing is, you know, that's the beginning of the climb. So you essentially fail to begin, probably land face first in the ashes of Better than people. face first in the ass of a corpse. <laughs> yes. Okay. Give me another cloud check. Wow. <laughs> Ten on the die, minus four is six. All right, that's actually enough to start making your way upwards. <gasps> Great. Yay. Dora? Um, before she goes, yes. Dora pauses for a moment. She summons an image to her mind of a wall, a brick wall being laid brick by brick, brick by brick, and she's filled with a feeling of like maternal love. Hmm. And then she climbs up. She gets a 10. She has begun. So, shouldering and thrusting and pulling yourselves up into the absolute darkness as far as... Nope, I got a, I got a torch in my hand. Oh. While you're climbing? Oh, cause oh you have, yeah, because you got a climb, climb speed, speed now. Yes, you do. All right. You can tell that it looks like you only have about 20 feet to go before it opens up into something above you. I, so there's not long, not long to go. It, it's not very far, only about uh, 20 feet. And uh, grip. If I'm so climbing, I would want still want both hands free. If I sling the shield on my back, mm-hmm. do I take the check penalty for climbing? No. If I'm not carrying no. the shield. No. Great. Fourteen. Great, you're good to go. All right, we take about you know twelve, eighteen, twenty-four seconds, half a minute or so to wrench ourselves up this tight ductwork shaft. It's really hard for Ray with his armor. He's finding himself getting adjusted to moving his limbs around under such impediments. Grip is having an easy time with it because of his strength, but size-wise, he's just like 
crammed in. His shoulders are squeezed around. He's barely got enough room to move. You know, Dora is managing it, I think primarily because she's got big bodies below and above her and can just kind of like push off them whenever her upper body strength fails her. Leading the way, Gulliver, with the dead fox tucked into his <laughs> armor, torch in hand, clambering up the chute with seemingly no problem at all, you get to the top in what feels like uh, the inside of another sort of furnace space with an open door uh, about the same size as the one downstairs. The door is sort of cracked open and from the light of your torch, you can see that you're on the back end of a room that's about 30 feet by 20 feet on the right side as you're looking out the door of this furnace. There's two large boiler units that have metal pipes going up at angles into the ceiling, clearly going up into whatever this structure is. Give me a perception check there, Gulliver, as you're... All right. Ooh, natural 16 plus uh, 6, so 22. So you reach that point and you're poking the torch out and you hear some skittering underneath the second boiler after you would get out of this furnace space. And you see little flashes of red light, like it's very faint and it's flickering on and off, on and off, not a regular rhythm, looks nothing like torch or firelight. It seems like a red flashlight's on, a red flashlight is off. And then you're a little skittering as of like tiny claws. And then as you probably freeze a little bit when you hear those sounds, the skittering also stops and the red light goes out and it's (laughs) eerily quiet. What do you do? I'm going to very slowly and quietly try to open the uh, the door here. Oh, the door is open. Oh, the door's open. Yeah. Then I'm going to slowly climb out, and while I'm perched in the entrance of it, yes. draw my rapier in one hand and switch hands so that I have the torch in the other hand. Okay, so this is a door about a ten-year-old could fit through. You've got a fox <laughs> Full-grown man. All right, I'm, I'm seeing. I'm seeing it. I am very slender. I am 135. I'm a skinny, skinny. It's true. Skinny. And the the thing that you drank that you created is certainly giving you an ability to maneuver through spaces. My extract. Ooh. So you managed to step your way out. Let's move him onto the square right in front of the furnace. There, we can move everybody up behind him. We assume that they're following. On the map, I've just got sort of a large yeah, open space, but they're the tucked in a tucked in a shaft there. You step down there, and something happens. All right, so you step there. Oh gosh! Oh gosh! Mm-mm. Nope. You see two rats the size of small dogs, mm. covered in just mangy, flea-bitten black fur with big patches missing, skitter out into the middle of the room, looking at you, cocking their heads, and then around the corner of the second boiler, this tiny little, like, cat-sized creature opens its eyes, 
red light bathes out from them and you see it's got the body of a possum, but it's got oh, no. monkeys, arms, four no, no, paws no, 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 with hands, no, 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 a no, giant no. rat's tail curled in the air, and then a face like a mole with like 16 tentacles lashing oh. out like two it's or three just, feet in front of it. It's basically a fox. You have, you have just described my personal nightmare creature because I do not like possum at all. Like they freak me out. And like you've now described like a Cthulhu possum with human monkey hands. And I'm like not... I'm not here for this. So, so this is not good. These three creatures skitter out as you're sort of getting yourself out, and you've got your rapier in the hand that you want to have it in, and your torch where you want to have it, and they're skittering out there. You're bathed in red light, and the little creature on the ground with the tentacles and the possum's body goes, <laughs> which is what the three of you grip Gulliver and Ray here. <laughs> but what Dora hears is, find the weakest one. Pull the flesh off the faces. Let's roll for initiative. Initiative! <laughs> <laughs> Dora. Eight. Ray. Ten. Grip. Six. Nice. Oh, forgive me. Gulliver. Uh, Seven. Seven for Dora. I rolled a six. My initiative modifier is plus three, so it would be a nine. But in this moment, feeling that his life hangs (laughs) in the balance, Gull tries to find the action within himself to possibly move a little bit faster and be a little bit more on the jump. And I'm going to roll an action point on this one. Oh, an action point. Our first one. For a four. That'll bring me up to... 13, which is a lot better than a 9. So as this fight begins, and Dora, you're hearing as words what the rest of them hear as just foul gibberish, and you understand that you speak the language Aklo, which is essentially the language of horrifying creatures from deep below the earth, beyond the stars. It is a language native to this plane, but specific to horrifying abominations and otherworldly things. Why do I speak that? Why do you speak that? The first thing that happens in this combat is the rats move. Both the rats charge up to Gulliver. They both move 15 feet forward, so they're both right in front of Gulliver. First one lashes out with a bite attack, hitting armor class 11. Miss. The second one bites, hitting armor class 13. Miss! Oh! <laughs> so that's a move action and a standard action for both of the rats, and they're standing there, and their tails are lashing. And next, Gulliver, you are up. I am going to take a five-foot step so that people can move up behind me. So you're moving to the left. To the left. To clear the passageway out of the And furnace. then I'm going to attack. Are, are you moving out of number two's threatened area? No, he's no. still within okay. reach, but this five-foot step means Great. he doesn't provoke from anyone. Uh, and then I'm going to attack with my rapier. Which one are you attacking? Uh, the closest one, number one. Number one. Uh, ooh, 17 on the die, plus three for uh, 20. That is a hit. Hit. Doing... Oh, only one point of damage. Oh, Maybe it only has one hit point. It seems to not just have one hit point <laughs> as the rapier like sinks into its shoulder and then it kind of like writhes itself off. It seems to just be basically take a little flesh wound there. The creature that terrifies Johnny is next. <laughs> it really terrifies me. I really don't like possum. They freak me out. So it is. I like a nice raccoon, but not a possum smaller than the giant rats, 
and it takes a it sort of skitters around behind the rats to get itself about five feet away from Gulliver. You can tell because of its size, it's gonna have to enter your square oh, to no. attack you. No, no, no. So at the moment, it's bathing you with its horrifying red eye light and staring at you, and tentacles are just about brushing against your feet, but it decides not to attack that round. Next is Ray, who actually is next in the shoot, right? Yeah. Yes. Which one did you attack, Johnny? Number one. Moving into a, a threatened square means provoking an attack of opportunity, yes? Normally, it would only be moving out of a threatened square. You're having to squeeze your way out of an awkward door that's half your size. Yeah. That action is going to provoke if you want to move in that square. And will I provoke from both of them? From both rats. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well... <laughs> I didn't come here not to die. <laughs> Ray's going to step in and try to be brave. Excellent. He writhes his way out of the open furnace door, and both rats lash out with their teeth in your moment of inability to protect yourself accurately. Number one hits armor class 15. Miss. Ooh. Number two hits something much lower. All right, so the rats are uh, unable to land a hit so far. Great. Um, so that was a move action for you. I'm going to attack one since it's already been attacked. Great. Uh, 14. That is a hit. Excellent. So this is with your morning star. This is with the morning star. For six points of damage. And Gulliver, I'm sure, is delighted to see as the morning star comes down and crushes the rat's head, leaving a splat of wet, dead rat in that square right there. Well done. Well awesome. And nice. you've taken a move action that wasn't really a move. Uh, I would let you take a five-foot step if you wanted to. Normally you can't when you've already moved, but this is kind of a crunched position, if you wish. I do. I want to make room for grip to come through, at least, but where can I move without being... So the only available space is putting yourself in a direct flanking position between the horrifying monster on one side and the giant filthy disease rat on the other side. So much can happen in a round. Does it look, uh, look tempting to you? You want to step there? Do it. I'm going to do, do it. it. I'm going to do it. All right. Ray's being brave. He slides into that space. Ray's terrified. But... Dora, you're next. That initiative actually worked out perfectly yes. in terms of the order of where you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I can't go up to them. Is there any way I can initiate a shift in position with grip? No. You are both squeezed into this space. No, no, no moving through an ally's square. Not in this particular chute that is barely big enough to fit in. The only way is forward. Welcome to horror. Uh, uh, is there anything that I can see around on the ground? That might weigh less than five pounds. Give me a perception check. Uh, 16. You can see under the, uh, under the second boiler where all the creatures came scuttling out of, maybe as though they had made a nest of some sort. You can see a bunch of rocks, what looks like maybe it is a, a metal rod. There's some junk down there, yeah. All right, Dora, Pictures one of those pieces of junk yes. flying at the remaining rat who is in combat with an ally, so 
Do you want me to take the negative four to this attack? It's a minus or? four to your attack, yeah. yep. So it's just a minus two all day. <laughs> yeah. So that's a four. Okay. Probably misses. So a rock just goes flying across the room. Probably Ray's got to duck dodge. it. <laughs> yeah, dodge as it goes flying past. Dude. And I have to get out of Grip's way, even though I can only go into a square that is where he wants to be. That appears to be the situation. Oh my God. Has a minute passed since we were on the ground in the... Since we first started climbing up? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. What do I have to do to move through the wrath square? That would be an acrobatics check. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. I will uh, attempt to move into... It's already taken an attack of opportunity, though. Mm. It's bit at them. So, yeah, I am going to try to get... So move me into the open space, first of all. That's... I don't know how many feet of movement with squeezing and such. It's essentially a move action to get out so your turn's gonna end there there because you don't also have a five foot step to go in any direction the good news is as you're wrenching your way out yeah. the rat's obviously distracted by the combination of ray moving around and the rocks flying past it it doesn't take an attack of opportunity but that leaves grip in a pretty crappy yeah place but it's he's in a crappy place now yes so, so grip you can easily use a move action to get yourself the rest of the way to the mouth of the furnace. Like one option might be to ready an action if something comes within reach of you outside that door. But there's no, there would be no moving through Dora's space and then trying to acrobat through number two there. Hmm. And using acrobatics to move through the rat space? Correct. I would say, yeah, give me a check. And uh, if you succeed at that, that'll happen. If not, you're gonna be stuck in that doorway. But that would be a move and a move in his turn. And his right? turn is over, yeah. Well, that's better, because that's a 19 on the yeah. die for a 24 Ooh. acrobatics trick. Amazing. So you managed to leverage your way over Dora, sort of like jumping over the... She uh, is letting him go through. That is <laughs> here, no question. Helpful hand, buddy. Past the rat, and so now you're flanking the rat with Dora. All right. Thanks to Sirenscape for providing the music that we're using in this podcast. We're actually using the Strange Eons sound set. Check them out. And we're in the top of round two. Rat is completely surrounded, but it is <laughs> flanking. How much, uh, quick question yes. before we move on. How much of a action is re-slinging my shield? Move action. Okay, thank you. So the rat would be flanking Ray with the horrifying creature if the horrifying creature could reach Ray, <gasps> but the creature oh. is very, very small. So the rat decides it's gonna take a five foot step diagonally Ooh. adjacent to grip, sort of putting itself with the boilers and the wall at its back and making sure that no one's threatening it except for grip. And then it takes a bite at your grip. That is a natural 20, which is a critical threat. Critical so, threat. So that is a hit. And I'm going to back it up and see if he can uh, hit the armor class again and make it a critical. Does 19 hit your armor class? Yes! Wow. <laughs> Man. So that is double damage from the rat attack. Rat attack. Rat attack. 
seven points oh, of damage from a rat as shit. the teeth tear through the flesh, probably like in your Achilles tendon, just like. You see me? I'm huge. And um, as the the teeth and the saliva make contact with your flesh and your bloodstream, it just it burns. It feels really nasty. Why don't you give me a fortitude save there? Good. I've, I've been waiting for a fortitude save because at least that I have a shot at. I should have. <laughs> Damn it. Should have given up on the new guys Nice gods are um, A 10. Total of a 10. For that Ooh. All right, we'll find out what happens with that crappy roll later. So I mean, Robert, it was just what is a super important board save. Gulliver, you're up. Gulliver does not like this super creepazoidy thing, the little tiny possum Cthulhu tentacle creature, and he is going red to... Red light. Red oh, the red light. Red he light. says no, no to the red light, and he takes his rapier and... In Tries to stab it right down its tentacle throat. Excellent. Give me a tackle. Extending his rapier on point for... Oh! Would you tell me what that is? Well, it landed point up. Come and look at this and tell me what this is. It looks is. like a 20 to me. It looks like a 20 to me, but... That is a crack die. It is on a pile of other dice, and it is leaning to the side. Johnny, roll that again. I will not accept that. I had to try. I, you did to try. Uh, natural 18. Yay! <laughs> Plus three, 21. That's a hit. You Excellent. stab it with your rapier. Oh, I stab it? it with my rapier, please. Kill it in the face. Oh! Followed by another one. Grazed it. Oh, I no. was so just as I as I extended into it, I was like, "Oh, the little tentacles are wrapping around the blade. Get off!" You are so good at grazing things. Yes. Uh, it's what I do. It's, it's your talent. Uh, next, it's the monster. It turns its head back towards the rat across the room and says in the language that only Dora can understand, "Eat the old one. Her flesh will sustain us." And then Ooh. it moves into the square of the creature that just stabbed at it, which is. That's Gulliver. Me. Oh no. That move provokes an attack of opportunity if you have one available I to you. I do. I okay. do have an attack of opportunity Let's available see if you can to me. Do better and I, than graze it. I'm going to try to not graze it this time. I'm going to roll. Uh, in this moment, I'm going to dig even deeper <laughs> and I'm going to spend a point of inspiration. Oh. Actually, two points of inspiration to add a 1d6 to this roll. And hopefully, it will strike this creature. A six for a 19. Excellent. So reaching down into your uh, lost knowledge of my how things move and how things work, exactly. you manage to land and make a blow with your rapier as it smooths into your square. Oh. <laughs> Did you just roll another one? Oh, my God. Peck, 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 Grace. peck, peck. Oh, no. <laughs> The creature is unfazed and attempts to bite you with its mouth full of tentacles. Oh, I do not like this. Does it hit, uh, does, uh, 16 hit you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, that hits. All right. You take one point of damage, and you are now bleeding. Ooh. It then lashes out with one of its claws. Oh, this is not good. 17, so that's a hit. Katie just handed him a condition card. What does bleeding mean? Oh, bleed. <laughs> you take the list of damage, one, at the beginning of your turn. Bleeding can be stopped by a DC 15 heal check as a standard action or by the application of any spell that cures hit point damage, even if the bleed is ability damage. Bleed effects do not stack with each other unless they deal different kinds of damage. When multiple bleed effects deal the same kind of damage, take 
the worse effect. Awesome. So the claw that just landed deals one point of non-lethal damage to you. Now, non-lethal damage is a, an amount that you track that indicates how close you are to being knocked unconscious. If your actual hit points drop so low that they match the number that your non-lethal damage is, you fall unconscious. Probably not a danger at the moment, but good to know that it's a possibility. It's certainly dangerous when you're bleeding out. The second claw lashes out. That's a 15. That is exactly a hit. One more point of non-lethal damage. Ray, you're up. When this disgusting creature attacked G uh, Gull, did it provoke an attack of opportunity for me as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. You think I would swing my Morningstar at it? Yeah, that's, uh, I missed that, so I'm, I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna give you that attack of opportunity retroactively. Let's see if that lands. I, I didn't want to shout over No, what I, was I appreciate that, but you're right. Out. You're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Excellent. Now in your actual turn, <laughs> reeling from your own failure in the previous turn, what do you do? Uh, yes, since, Johnny. Since it's now in my space, mm -hmm. are we now flanking it? Yes. Oh, plus two. Plus two to your attack roll, Paul. Uh, cracked eye. N no. <laughs> What'd you roll, man? We got. I, I mean, I rolled a four plus two is six plus one is seven. I mean, there's just no way. Right. Miss, did you want to move it all? No. Great. Dora. As a free action. Yes. Dora calls out. It's telling the rat to eat me. <laughs> Can I Get back up into the chute? Yeah. And, and, and be there? Yeah. Cover or something? Sure, I like that. Yeah. That's a move action. Move action to squeeze back in there. Then I will picture another it's one of those. probably actually safer for you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will picture another one of those things underneath the furnace mm -hmm. um, lashing out. Ha has either of these two things been hit? The tiny thing? The tiny thing has been grazed twice, twice. by Gulliver. Uh, I'm equally bad at hitting both of them, but there are I, two I don't know people. that you can see the rat okay, then so well from your angle the, there. It'll have to be at the, at the possum. All right. And where, it, where it is right now, I think your allies won't be providing cover, but still the minus four for firing into melee. Minus two all day. Okay. It's on the 19, oh. and it rolled to the three, so that's oh. one. <laughs> More that's detritus goes flying through the air. Grip. He's outraged. Grip is outraged at the bite this stupid rat has taken out of him. Yeah. He, he, is, he is pissed off enough that he does not sling his shield back over his arm, but instead you see his face go a little slack, and you notice now, you didn't really notice it before, but when this happens, his eyes kind of roll, start to roll back into his head, and he cracks his neck, <laughs> and just has a look of incredible focus on this rat. Do you want me to tell you what I'm doing? Or? Yeah, why don't you tell me? Um, he is all of a sudden seems to have the ability of the grudge fighter feat. Oh, which that is work? Uh, It is a specific to orcs and uh. their ilk bonus on to hit and damage against creatures that have attacked you this combat. Oh, that is so cool. cool. And he's going to attack yes. this rat with his fist. That's, that's right, it's just a rat, so that's 15. You hit. Hey, Very good. Yes. Rat smash. Gotta love first level. <laughs> Six points of damage. And 
you crush it with your fist. Just boom, punch down, splatter the rat into the ground. We've now got two dead rat splatters. Rat splatter. You have a move action. I don't because I used a move action Uh, to do my thing. Okay. Round three, there are no rats to take actions. (laughs) Gulliver, you're up. (laughs) I take a point of bleed damage. Yes, you do. Oh. And then I look at this He's weak with really, disturbing, really disturbing creature, and I try to think to myself, do I know anything about it, and can I make a knowledge check? If you're able to make a knowledge arcana check, you could. I cannot. So it I cannot. is as much of a horrifying mystery to Gulliver as it is to Johnny. So I will stick to my guns and try to stab it again in its squiggly little tentacly face as it's so disgusting but now at least I'm flanking with my friend and maybe I'll hit it and not graze this time for a 17 plus That's a 3 hit. okay come on anything but a 1 this time please 2 well hey we're moving in the right direction you got what you asked for all right Michael and diming it to death so both of its pals are dead the tasty morsel of old person flesh has clambered back into the dead furnace. <laughs> Just seen both of his friends squash to pulp. He is gonna make a go for it. He's gonna try to run for the door across the room. Because he's so small, he can't make it away from both Gulliver and Ray without provoking attacks by opportunity from them because he's got to move first out of Gulliver's square and then out of the square <laughs> after that. A withdraw action will let you make one of those moves for free without provoking. He can't do that. Why don't we start with Gulliver? All right, you little... Oh, I was so disturbed by the bleed that I rolled a two and missed it. <laughs> and Ray... I rolled a eight. Flanking? Oh, ten. That is a miss. Okay. So it takes its horrifying amalgamated body skittering across the room towards the door where you can now notice there is a gnawed out portion at the bottom that's probably big enough for it to squeeze through, but it only gets about that far. Like a little pet door. Mm Mm-hmm. Ray. I'm going to move and attack. 12 to hit. That's a miss. Dodges out of the way. Dora. Is uh, What kind of action is it to make a knowledge check? I never have a character that can make knowledge checks. No action. No action? No action? Yeah. Then I will make a knowledge arcana check on this creature. 14. Dora recognizes this creature as what's called a zoog. They are are making that up. I am not. They're horrifying (laughs) creatures that lurk in the shadowy, moldering places of the world. They are drawn to the places where the boundaries between planes and realities are thin. Mm. They possess an abnormal level of intelligence and they tend to create cults of foul vermin and rodents and stuff around them and they direct their activities you know stealing babies eating flesh all that kind of great stuff um you've already sort of experienced most of the stuff that makes them 
particular, you know that their bite damage can cause bleed. But I'd say the one thing that you do know, not that it's of huge relevance here, but they're able to strike incorporeal creatures as if their claws and teeth were ghost touch weapons. Mm. Whoa. So they are really like sitting between planes. That's cool. And so horrible. she sort of hisses in Aklo, run for your life, vermin. <laughs> and then she she imagines yet another piece of debris from under the furnace arcing up in the air and landing on him. Great. And she feels her mischievous self. Eight. <laughs> There's just so close. bits of rock and yeah, metal flying, flying in all place. directions. Grip. Move and hit, I think, yeah, is please, what my get plan it, is going to be. So. It's only about 20 feet away from where Grip was, so he can make his way up. Now he and Ray are both have it pinned against the door. And then um, I, will, I will hit it. 19 on the die. Yes. So that's, that's going to be a hit. Yep. Um, four. <laughs> four. What is my... What at nine points of damage. Oh, and you squash it, and it dies. All right. So we've had a little bit of combat here. We've got sort of a taste of some people's class abilities. Does anybody want to share yet what they are? Anybody feeling that? You want to jump in, Robert? Sure, I will. Um, So Grip is uh, a brawler, and the brawler's jam is for a move action, four times, right now it's four times a day. That will go up as my brawler level goes up. Four times a day. I can take a move action and gain any combat feat for so, which I meet the prerequisites. It's so cool. Um, so cool. Within, and that so lasts badass. for a minute. Wow. Within that minute, I can do it again and pick a new feat. And that still counts as that one time a day. That's the main thing. Uh, I can, for any feat that has an intelligence requirement of 13... If I don't have an intelligence of 13, spoiler alert, I do not. (laughs) Um, I am treated as if I do have an intelligence of 13 to qualify for that feat. And then as I gain levels, I can pick more feats at one time, so I can pick something that's a prerequisite to get me another feat. The one thing I did learn is all the combat feats that have a dexterity prerequisite, that requirement is usually 13, and my dexterity is 12. Oh. So, uh, but as soon as I can get one more point of dexterity, a whole new world of feats will open up <laughs> nice. to me. Also, my levels count as a monk and a fighter for any item or thing that requires levels in fighter or monk. Yeah, he's, um, and he's punching like a monk, like normally and, a person. Yeah, no, would... uh, uh, lethal damage with unarmed, improved. Uh, I, I started with improved unarmed strike and uh, weapon focus unarmed strike. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's, that's basically awesome considering your uh, fear of uh, edged weapons. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, it's the dumbest character I've ever played. He's got an intelligence of eight and a wisdom of ten. And what about Gulliver? We've seen him mix some uh, alchemical stuff, and now we've seen him use what you call inspiration. Does anybody want to hazard well, a guess? Okay, so I will. Huh? It's not going to be right, but I, I'm going to throw a class name out there, which is one I have heard of and uh-huh. never read. Yeah. The Vivisectionist. Ooh. Interesting. Are you a Vivisectionist, Johnny? I am not, but that that's a pretty good okay. guess. It seemed like something you would play. Uh, yes, <laughs> it absolutely would be something I would play. Uh, no, I am Investigator. Oh, ah. 
So a mix of a, another hybrid class similar to the Brawler, where it is a mix of a rogue yeah. and an alchemist. Yeah. So what is this inspiration about then? Inspiration is very cool. It's a thing where I am able to add a 1d6 to a roll three times a day for skills, or I can spend two of those to add it to like an attack roll oh, or a saving cool. throw as an immediate reaction. Is that unique to the investigator class? Yes. That's sweet. That is totally cool. And there's, I get all kinds of really fun, neat things. And uh, I can add that 1d6 to a couple different skills just automatically, just mm-hmm. all the time. And as I go up in levels, if I take different I think they're called, I don't even know what they're called, investigator talents, then I can do that with other skills as well where I don't have to spend those uses. I just get to always roll an additional 1d6. Very cool. So it's like a really fun skill monkey character and stuff. Yeah. And then basically anything yeah. a rogue could do with traps, like find them, yeah, disarm find them, traps. that kind of stuff. He can find do them by setting them off. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, there are we, we have yet to see. To find them, you know. I don't believe you. So we've, uh, we've learned a little bit about Grip and about Gulliver. We still haven't seen much of Ray. Stoney. Gulliver Stoney. So we'll we'll hold off on Ray for the moment. Oh, Paul's got something to say. Actually, you know, the, the, what just happened yeah. was really, um, you know, this has been a very intense day for Ray. And, <laughs> for all uh, of us. For all yeah. of us. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, he sees that uh, Rat took a big chunk out of you, right? And you, you took some damage there. You're still bleeding. Bleeding. Right. And it's. I feel like Ray is so intensely moved by this that something happens he's not really totally under control of it but he's pissed he's terrified and he knows that he can't survive without all of us working together and his as you smash this uh, otherworldly weird creature zoog thing (laughs) he his fists clench and his muscles tighten and this energy starts to emanate from his body and you each heal four points of damage from this channeling of positive energy that comes from him. Um, You stop your bleeding. He didn't touch us? He didn't touch you. He didn't touch you. He just emanated positive energy in 30 feet all around him. Heal four hit points of damage that also simultaneously will wipe out your non-lethal damage, Johnny. Excellent. Yeah. And, and, and my madness. I... <laughs> Sadly, your madness <laughs> so still exists. Does that resonate? What he we just saw him do? Does that resonate with any of us? So the thing that you would recognize is that this channeling of positive energy that he just did is something that you think of when you think about people in the world doing this, they have to pre- present a holy symbol for a god, and uh, Ray did not do that. He just clenched his fists and this shot out of his body. Mm. So, whatever he is, he's probably not a cleric, based on just sort of general world knowledge that you would have. When, when this, when this, what, what does it look like, this, like, like you clench your fist and then what is the There's actual... kind of this, uh, like, glowing sort of aura. What color? I, I feel like it's it's white, it's silvery, sort of white aura that that shimmers off of his body, filling the whole room. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Still don't know quite what's happening to me, and so I feel like I'm. There's a giddy sense of like, what the fuck did I just do? Uh, Dora climbs out of the <laughs> of the furnace, furnace chute, <laughs> and goes to him and approaches gently. 
Are you all right? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Look at what you can do. Yeah. My goodness. My goodness. I don't know if it was a dead little man, but thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank, thank you. It, is your skin still rotting off, though? Or did you heal yourself? It is still rotting off. Whatever this is, I, I still don't understand. We'll figure it out together. All right, so there is only one door out of this particular room that you've emerged in. What are you? Oh, why don't we hold off on the two of you until we see a little bit more from both of you? Because I think there is more that both of you can do. <laughs> more than hide in the fire shoot. More than meets the eye. <laughs> So we're in, a, we're in what it seems to be a boiler furnace room one way out. And there's nothing else to find in here. Do you want to search around the room? Yeah, just Yeah, everybody quick. give me a perception check. Good heavens. Ooh. Natural 11. 16 plus 15. 6. 11. 22. I am off my dice. Okay, Gulliver. Yes. As you're sort of nosing around the room, it's a pretty bare, sparse chamber, but that collection of junk and garbage underneath the boiler. That's exactly where I was going to look. Yeah. You do find two unused sun rods. I, I pocket them. You tuck it right in there with the dead fox that is bleeding onto your chest. And the piss-soaked <laughs> The piss-soaked fungus-covered moldy. Fungi, fungus so gross. Infected, yeah. I hope we weren't married. <laughs> no comment. We heading up this door or what? I suppose so. Is it locked? Grape, you want to try it? Yeah, I do. It is not locked. One thing I want to mention, what that creature said, that uh, eating me would uh, sustain them, makes me think that this place is possibly abandoned or there is a shortage of food and resources. I don't know if that means anything, but it's something to think about. I think that it means that somebody's like taking all the bodies up here and throwing them down there because if there were all those bodies down there up here, they would be living large. I just want to get out of here. I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. This place is obviously not where we're meant to be. Let's go. Open the door. Go on too. So Grip opens the door. This particular door opens into this boiler room. You see a 10 foot wide hallway Stone walls, painted white, a little bit crumbling at this point, paint chipping off. Looked as though it had been very, very nice at one point, but there's spindly spider arms of cracks tracing up and down the walls. Uh, The hallway goes to the left, as far as you can see with your dark vision, goes to the right, as far as you can see with your dark vision. There's a, a door right across the hall from you But the thing that catches your eye first is to the right, about 25 feet down the hallway, in what looks like is the archway where a set of double doors had once stood. There is a pile of furniture, doors, chairs, sofas. Behind this little barricade that's maybe about four feet tall, there is the flickering glow of probably a couple of torches It's past the barricade, so it is sort of backlighting as you see the shape of a humanoid clearly raising a crossbow 
pointing the crossbow right down at where that door is opening towards your face. And that's the end of chapter three. We'll pick up there next week. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-B-E dot com. Opening and closing themes, along with additional music, composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Did we level? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.